This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. The climate deal that included more than 190 countries was struck in Paris, but it does mean that drastic changes are in the offing for certain countries, especially in terms of how they both produce and consume energy. These forthcoming changes are also expected to have an impact on the global economy and potentially the financial markets as well. Taking a look at this and how this deal will affect all of these countries and uh, everything around it, we are joined here in the studio by Eric Ortz, who is a professor of legal studies and business ethics here at Warden, as well as faculty director of the Initiative for Global Environmental Leadership. He's also the author of a book called Business Persons, A Legal Theory of the Firm, which has just been published in a new paperback edition by Oxford Press. Also joining us on the phone is Sanjay Patnik, who's an assistant professor of strategic management and public policy at George Washington University. He's also a senior IGEL fellow here at Penn as well. Eric, as always, great to see you again. Great to see you too, Dan. Thank you very much. Sanjay, great to have you on the show for the first time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, Eric, I'll start with you. Your reaction when the announcement kind of filtered out over the weekend, we kind of expected something was going to happen, but now that it has, what's your kind of your take on it? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's good news. I think it's a clear step forward. There are challenges uh, moving forward, but I think it's a very big uh, step in the right direction. We've been looking at internationally various attempts to have a, 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 an agreement that may, really meant something. And uh, I think one of my colleagues uh, was fond of uh, making the joke. And I think someone, uh, another, another colleague actually tallied this up, whether the amount of CO2 emissions caused by all the diplomats going all around the world to uh, get a climate agreement, yeah. would, whether that exceeded what they actually accomplished <laughs> at the end of the day. And we still don't have, uh, I mean, what's, this doesn't solve the problem. So this right. doesn't. And I think it shouldn't have tried. I think that was a problem with uh, previous agreements. It doesn't say here is actually what we're going to mandate somehow from sure. on high down. What it does do, though, is pursue a, a bottom-up approach, which I had suggested and a number of other people had sa- had suggested after the Copenhagen uh, failure to reach yeah. an agreement. And you have countries that are committing to what they've said themselves and uh, and and you also have, I think, very importantly in this agreement, there is a mechanism for reporting and verification at the international level, which I think is a is is the right way to go. It's the you know so the the, the international agreement is specializing in what it can do, mm-hmm. and solving the problem is going to depend on everybody else, right? It's going to depend on individual countries, sure. but. Uh, and and a key qu- uh, question is what is uh, whether whether you have business innovation and technology breakthroughs. Probably as big news uh, as the as the agreement itself. Although I think they 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 came together was Bill Gates' announcement of uh, a major coalition of yep. other of himself and other businesses in something called the Breakthrough Energy Coalition and ten countries that also committed to uh, mat- to significant research into. What are the new technology breakthroughs that you're going to need mm-hmm. to actually uh, actually make a dent on on the issue, Sanjay? Thank you. Um, so I agree with Eric, and uh, I actually just came back from Paris. I was there during the first week of the conference, 
attending multiple sessions with several of the world leaders and, and looking at the dynamics of the conference itself. And what was surprising to me and actually a very positive signal, I think, is that you really saw political will across the spectrum, across different countries and across different political orientations um, for doing something about climate change. Um, uh, in, in conjunction, not only among the world leaders, but also, as, as Eric already alluded to, among business leaders. So you saw yeah. a very strong presence of firms and of managers, of CEOs at the conference, which I think made it different um, as compared to previous conferences. And you really saw even traditional industries and, and people from, from industries you might not even necessarily think of being interested in that topic, attending the conference and talking about the importance of new investments, of innovation, and of carbon pricing. I, I, I attended one panel, for example, um, on carbon pricing uh, with several world leaders, including Chancellor Merkel. And, and they talked about the need to, to price carbon and the need uh, to send a signal, a political signal to the business community that can provide security for investment and innovation. And I think, um, uh, echoing um, Eric's comments, while the deal obviously still has a long way to go for the future, I think that's what the agreement does. It really puts political will out there and provides the basis, the institutional basis for a framework uh, to guide investment and provide firms with more certainty that this is a topic that is not going to go away, and this is something that world leaders care about. How then do you see the implementation of, of this happening? Because obviously we're, when you're talking about 190 countries and you're talking about uh, varying levels of economy uh, or, you know, around the globe, uh, there really does have to be, uh, Sanjay, quite a bit of partnership between a lot of these countries to make sure that, that some of these, these goals that have been put out there are met. Mm -hmm. uh, I agree, and I think... I think what the agreement does well is, uh, as Eric mentioned, it, it doesn't mandate something from, from the top, but it really lets it up to each country to how to how to achieve the emissions reduction that they submitted in their plans before. And I think what we will see is that we have regions such as the European Union and, and California and some of the provinces in Canada that already have much more experience in implementing some of these programs. Uh, Europe, for example, has a cap-and-trade program. Yep. And you see that there is an exchange among policymakers you see that um, the World Bank, for example, they, they have a unit, they have advisors on that. They send them to developing countries, advising them on how to develop their own regulations. China is, is talking uh, closely to the European regulators. I spoke to someone from the European Commission at the conference. And so I think what you will see is that you have these template programs that are already in effect, that are being continuously improved, and you will see more and more countries talking to each other and seeing what makes sense within their own jurisdiction, learning some of the lessons from other programs, and then building sort of organically uh, in different regions regulatory programs that can put a price on carbon. Yeah, if I could just add a, 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 some, a perspective from the legal analysis of the actual agreement. Uh, the way this is going to work, and, and I think this is why it's, uh, it, it's potentially very uh, Game change is potentially game changing. Is that there's going to be a uh, set period of time where where countries will make their plan uh, proposals. Uh, those get revised, uh, hopefully continually improving what your goals are, and then there is a put in place a standard methodology for how are you going to tell whether people are actually sure. are, are you measuring performance or not, and that was a key. Uh, point that the U.S. negotiators were making as well as some others, and I, uh, Sanjay may, may have some details on that, but I think it was a sticking point for many countries, but they got that through, and I think then like uh, periodically, I think beginning, there's, there's something called a global stock take that also mm -hmm. 
I think you have to do that at the international level to see are we really moving toward 1.5 goal, which is, uh, yeah. they say that's at 1.5 degrees Celsius change, which the plans, if you put them all together right now, don't really reach the goal that you need to reach. But the idea is that going forward, you can have a ratcheting effect as you have people take, a, uh, a st- take stock of where you are and you continually will have, hopefully, a ratcheting down over time. The 1.5 number is very interesting because in what we've talked about with you over the last several months, Eric, is 2.0 was was what we figured was going to be the goal. And then all of a sudden, 1.5 kind of was thrown in there, which, as you said, that's a that's a hard number to get to, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think for the for the listeners who are maybe not familiar with this, there there isn't really a, a magic number of two point okay. or one point five. What it is, some sometimes it, we're already probably running some degree of risk that you'll have very severe consequences. Yeah. And another piece of this agreement is to look at adaptation measures as well uh-huh. as uh, the mitigation side. Yeah. So the question is, how much risk are you taking? And the more uh, fossil fuel uh, emissions you put in the atmosphere, the greater the risk that you're going to have very severe uh, climate change that's going to start to uh, uh, desertify more parts of the world, to decrease food uh, production, melt, melt the ice caps, sure, yeah. raise sea levels, all the, all the horror stories they hear, hear about. So the uh, the question is really a measure of trying to move the number down. You know what you. One of the goals that they is 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 clearly marked out, and we'll we'll see in the future whether that you meet it. Is as soon as possible, according to the agreement, we want to reach a peaking of mm. carbon emissions, yeah. and then you start to start uh, to, to. But that's the key to pare it down. Keep, if you keep having agreements saying a target, and then the real world just continues to, uh, the, the curve continues to rise, then uh, then you're in trouble. Sanjay? Yeah, I agree. I think the 1.5 target is really a testament to the to some of the power that was um, wielded by the, some of the smaller countries. Uh, a lot of the island nations and those countries that are already facing a lot of the issues with climate change directly, they've pushed very hard for the 1.5 degrees. So, And I, I think that's a good sign that they were able to have their voice heard. And I think what it also opens up is, and, and you saw that as part of, uh, of the discussions during the conference, that there will be a strengthened role about talking how we can take out some of the CO2 again out of the atmosphere. Maybe, for example, through reforestation, forest was a very big issue at the conference. So I think we will see more measures in that direction. And I think that the language of the agreement also allows flexibility for, for, for those kinds of measures. And I think, I mean, it, Obviously, as Eric said, uh, if, if we have these targets and we don't meet them, then we're going to be in trouble. Yeah. But I think the agreement really provides the flexibility and the emphasis that we have to have something and the political will that they're trying to put behind that. As mentioned before, the U.S. obviously was a, was a big player in this process, Sanjay. But who were some of the other pieces kind of behind the scenes that maybe we don't know about the other entities that, that were very important to this process as well? So I think a critical this time were both China and India, because in the past that was always that, uh, was controversial during the talks. There was usually always a, a, a kind of a, a, a chasm between the Western developed countries and, and China and India. And I think this time, also under the leadership of the French uh, presidency of the French host, they were able to come together. Um, I attended an event, for example, with the French president and the Indian prime minister on the launch of the, of the International Solar Alliance, which will provide key funding for solar projects in, in developing countries. 
And um, I think you really saw that bridging of the of the gaps that, that we had seen earlier in different climate uh, climate conferences, mostly because uh, China, they already announced they're going to do a cap-and-trade program uh, in the next two, three years. Yep. For them, it's also a big issue of local pollution. And India, I think, got some of the concessions that they, they will still have time to develop, use some uh, fossil fuels for, for some time. But they're trying to emphasize technologies such as solar that have come down in price quite substantially in the last couple of years and are trying to be an, kind of an anchor uh, for other developing countries. So I think that was really uh, the main issue, that you had a convergence of political will among players that previously maybe might not have agreed. Sanjay, I know you have to take off. Uh, thank you very much for giving us a few minutes today. Thank you very much. You got it. Great Thanks for going you. over there, too, Sanjay. It's good to hear the report. Bye. And it is interesting to get the, the firsthand case because, we, you know, we obviously here in the media, we hear the reports that, that come out of there. But seemingly this is, a, as you said, it doesn't meet all of the goals, but maybe it's the first step that we need to have to really get to where we need to be in the next 30, 40 years. Yeah, and I think Sanjay makes a good point uh, that there is an expression of a consensus at the international level that you have all of these very different political orientations of all of 190 uh, plus countries yeah. coming together and saying yes the science is uh, clear enough that we need to take uh, measures uh, have some general goals stated but then really put in place uh, some serious uh, mechanisms by which you're going to um, move it forward so <laughs> i think it's uh, i think it's uh, it's not going to solve all the problems and uh. You know, there, Bill McKibben was immediately coming out saying, yeah, but here's all these terrible things happening. But sure. the politics is the art of the possible. And I think it's it was really a, it's really a pretty major achievement from so, that perspective. So then you believe that, that, that really because of all that we have seen out there in the media and now because of this agreement that from a public policy standpoint – that this has as good a chance to really go forward much better than, than the Copenhagen uh, Accord, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the key is, again, the, the, the fact that you have, I think in the, the language of the agreement is nationally determined contributions. Each country or region comes forward with their plan. Yeah. And then, so you're, it's, not, you're not, it's not somehow that the UN is in a top-down way telling everybody what to do. Yeah. Which which begged the question anyway. What if China didn't do it? Who's yeah. going to then go in and 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 say something? So, um, and I I completely agree with uh, Sanjay about the change that you had with with India and China. But another key component there was that the U.S. and China had an agreement previously yeah. in the year, uh, and that I think yeah, with China and the U.S. the two leading uh, greenhouse gas emitters basically having an alliance on this issue. That made it uh, that that made it, the hit the lift a lot easier politically. Your comments are welcome at eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six is the number to give us a call. Uh, what uh, we're looking at what could be expected out of the uh, the accord coming out of uh, Paris in terms of the climate talks. The other interesting thing, Eric, is is the fact that I don't know if you so I guess it was this early last week there was video of Beijing, I believe it was. Yeah. Uh, of the smog that was, I mean, it was one of the worst days, I think, ever in the history of Beijing uh, in, in terms of the, the air uh, within that country, which is, which is another big piece to this. Well, we've been seeing that for a while, and of course, that's caused by coal-fired yeah. uh, uh, pollution. And so reductions of uh, the use of coal in China is, is uh, 
the two separate issues. But that's, uh, I think, certainly going to change things. I mean, Chinese, the growth in China has led to a significantly uh, influential middle class, essentially emerging middle class in China. Yeah. And the idea that you can't send your kid to school because it's uh, it's poisonous outside uh, tends to focus uh, even a, even in a, even a country where there's no elections. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 there's going to be pressure to uh, move that forward, you, and we see that now. You mentioned innovation, which is obviously a, a key yeah. ingredient to this as well. And part of this is the understanding that while these changes will be made and, and need to be made over the next you know couple of decades, that this is a burgeoning business opportunity for a lot of yeah. a lot of different industries out there if they if they really truly you know understand and, and adapt to what needs to be done. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a huge it's required. So there's no way that you actually make this real unless there are business breakthroughs in terms of the technology of energy production, yeah. as well as efficiency. Uh, so there are, there's a lot of different kinds of uh, opportunities that are gonna occur here, and part of it's driven by what happens politically. So sure. uh, if you have, uh, right, I think you had the three of the big oil companies have come out and publicly called for a carbon tax. And so, and I believe ExxonMobil has has uh, indicated that they are that they, they recognize the climate issue. And I think, uh, at least uh, when I last checked, they were in favor of uh, that kind of approach. Yeah. So that's going to drive. If you increase the costs for fossil fuel productions, then you're going to drive other innovation. But in general, if you think about it, if you get solar, solar, the price of solar is decreasing. Yeah. Wind's decreasing. There are new possible technologies of nuclear. Which are climate friendly, which is a climate friendly technology. So as you have these, uh, if you have breakthroughs of this sort of, of this sort, and you make those kinds of renewable energy cheaper than coal, yeah, you <coughs> excuse me, that eliminates the problem right there, right? So the economic, if you can get the cost of climate friendly technologies and other uh, other services goods below the cost of using uh, 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 greenhouse gas technologies. It's a win. Mark is in Las Vegas and Nevada with a question. Mark, welcome to the show. Yeah. Hey, so it sounded a little bit like with the contribution of uh, paying a tax, um, a carbon tax. So that would be the folks like the United States paying a tax. Mm -hmm. and, and then that money would then go to the other countries. Sounds like we're you know, taxing quote unquote one percent globally and, and moving money to developing countries for some that is very suspect. I mean, it, the other planets are warming too. Mars is warming. They don't have SUVs there. Neptune, Uranus, they're all right. they're all warming. Okay, good. So well, it is just, very uh... suspect to take our money, give it to other countries. To what end? Okay, let me yeah. let me just focus on answers respecting planet Earth, which is I think our uh, the main focus. But the, but the, um, but the, I think there are two different aspects of that question. One is uh, with respect to uh, a carbon tax. What we're talking about is two, there are two different things that the person was uh, calling in about. One is the internal policies in each different country, whether you put a carbon, whether you put a tax on oil for the use of oil, for example, or yep. gasoline, you increase the gasoline tax or you put a tax on coal. So one is it's a consumer-based attempt to uh, internalize the externality of the damage that you're doing to the 
to the atmosphere mm -hmm. into the actual price. So they're actually paying for the full cost of the uh, of the resource. The other part that was discussed was it was controversial, and I think that some developing countries, some poor countries, were not happy uh, as happy about the Paris Agreement as some because the richer countries did not agree to significantly increase some kind of major transfer of wealth from one country to another. Right. There is a precatory language that we will, uh, that, the, that the United States, Europe, and other richer countries will make transfer payments to help with various kinds of uh, new technologies in different parts of the world. But I don't think that's really the principal Financing focus. as well, too, correct? You know, the idea is that you're not going to just take money from richer countries and send it to developing countries. That, that's, not, uh, that's not part of the understanding here. Mark, thanks very much for the call. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866. And, and look, you know, as you have it right here and right now, there are still quite a few people that aren't 100% sold on what seemingly needs to be done over, over the next 34 years which is part of the issue, especially here in the United States and probably in other countries around the world. Yeah, and I think you're going to have, you know, you have back and forth on this issue, but yeah. I think as Sanjay had pointed out earlier, uh, there is a, it is significant that you have a consensus document of this kind that's basically agreeing that the science is basically in on this issue, showing that there's a risk, yeah. that you also have to uh, do something about that that's a serious uh, serious policy issue, that they actually have done that. So yeah. I think it raises some interesting questions in different countries where you have uh, some uh, major politicians basically still denying the science. And that's another, yeah, I don't know if you want to get into that issue, but uh, but I think that the it's, it's going to be more and more difficult to take a position that the science is not there when you have major agreements with all the countries agreeing sure. to them, in, right. in, 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 such as in Paris. And I was going to say, if, if all of these countries agree, then, then obviously there's enough of an understanding that we need to move forward with this. We jokingly said before we went on the air, hey, look, you know, Sunday in December here in Philadelphia, and it was 70, 71 degrees. Yeah. Now, you know, some people say, eh, it's just a warm patch. Well, you know what? It's, no, been, it's, it's been warm here for I think for the, the last, change, and yeah. you know, some people say it's too late. Like, once, a, you know, one of the problems with a problem like climate change, many scientists have said, is that by the time you actually start experiencing it, it could be too late to actually... Uh, miss the really big impacts. Yeah. It could be, but we, right now, one thing that has been, uh, in, in a, you know, whether, whether December is just a, we, we don't know about that, but we do know that this is the hottest year on record uh, as long as we've been measuring uh, temperatures uh, in the modern era, and last year was the the last hot, the second hottest. Yeah. So there, there is a general trend that is starting to appear. The Arctic uh, ice melted faster than we thought it was going to do. The uh, Greenland and Antarctic ice is under threat. Glaciers are retreating places. There's more drought. It's, you know, at some point, for some six point years. people have to say, yeah, there's something happening here. <laughs> uh, we're talking with Eric Ortz uh, uh, of the Wharton School joining us here on the show. Your comments are welcome at 844-942-7866. Uh, in terms of, though, the, the process of now that this is put forward and, and the process of meeting again and making sure uh, that what is said that needs to be done is going to be done. Is that process quick enough? I mean, I believe it was five years that we're, we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I seemingly think that maybe five years is probably too too long a period at this point. 
Well, uh, yeah, I think if you would just look at the science and could somehow wave a, wave a magic wand on what should happen, yeah. we're not hitting the targets that many will say, and that will uh, they, that means we're going to run a bigger risk for some uh, very serious consequences to uh, as a result. Yeah. I think that they uh, I think they did the best that they can, and uh, we have in place uh, rel- as, as international agreements go. You have a have a way forward. Yeah, uh, it's much more positive than we have been in the last nine nine years or so, and yeah. coming up to this. But you're right; whether it's going to be fast enough is another question. But that that again, I think, is uh, one thing I would come back to is the business opportunities here, and you can see that there can be a tipping point with. Uh, I think I was on here when the Pope Francis was in town taking, uh, call, calling, uh, calling out the issue of climate change. You now have this Paris Agreement. Yeah. At some point, you start to have, a, I think, a tipping point effect where social movements are going to – younger generations are going to start to uh, consume in this, in this way or be interested in working for companies who yeah. are taking this kind of issue seriously, working on the uh, – so, so I think that you um, – it may be that we can move faster than the politicians if business actually and and the, and, and consumers actually start to press this press this uh, press this revolution in a sense a technological and and business revolution forward. A comment from Greg on Twitter. Uh, he wonders about Europe and, and with this agreement going forward. Uh, it, does Europe, in some respects, catch a bit of a break in terms of, I guess, in terms of the investment and and the process going forward? I don't. I. I don't. I, I think that there are some uh, some leaders in Europe now in some of the technologies. I think the U.S. is pretty well placed actually in solar technologies. There's yep. a lot of subsidies being paid in China uh, that uh, have been uh, difficult in the market. So um, I think that I think in a way Europe gets some credit for what they've been doing so far. Into, uh, they probably are ahead of most of the rest of the uh, world in terms of what they've done, except, except Japan, perhaps, where they've taken the problem seriously in many of the countries in Europe and yeah. have made some progress over time. So how it really will pan out in terms of what the economic consequences are, I'm not sure. I think the U.S. has probably posed in a, in a very good position given the fact that we're very good at startup technologies sure. and the – and innovation. And so to that extent, I would say that the U.S. is pretty well positioned. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.